Hey, this is the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we talk with some of the most successful engineering leaders who reveal actionable management insights that help you take your developer team to the next level. This episode is brought to you by Coding Sans, a software development agency building web applications from design to delivery with React, Node.js, and Angular. Check them out at CodingSans.com. Hi, everyone. Carolina Toad speaking, and this is the Level Up Engineering Podcast. In every episode, we talk with accomplished engineering leaders about different kinds of leadership challenges they face. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to share with you that if you sign up for the Level Up Engineering newsletter, you're going to receive new episodes two weeks prior to them being released to the rest of the world. So it's a really good deal. Click the link in the description and join our engineering leadership community. Today, we have another episode of our Lever Up Engineering Stories series, where we don't just talk about a specific challenge a leader has faced, we talk about how to build successful products throughout the world. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Lloyd Moore. He is the VP of Engineering at BlockDemon, and he has some really exciting stories to share with us. But before we start with the product, I really want you to meet Lloyd, welcome Lloyd. Please tell us a bit about yourself. Well, first of all, Carolina, thanks for having me on. So who am I? So, yep, currently VP of engineering at BlockDemon. Prior to that, I was a software contractor for about a decade. And then before that, a hardware engineer. I, in a past life, in the special forces, I was a Royal Marines commando for about 12 years. And during that time, I played professional rugby and was a 100-meter sprinter as well. So you know all kinds of different challenges that a man has to face, or a woman, but yeah. I do, yeah. Welcome to the show. For those of us unfamiliar with Block Demon, we can find that it's the leading independent blockchain node infrastructure to scale and stake nodes, but please, Introduce us to the idea of what Block Demon does so that we can familiarize ourselves a little more. Yeah, I'd love to. So ordinarily, people would take the software to run a Bitcoin node or an Ethereum node, for instance. However, that software is made in such a way that it's only made to deploy maybe one or two nodes per person. What we do is take that to the next level so that you can deploy not just 10 or 100, but thousands of those nodes. And if you imagine you're an institution who doesn't want to actually manage this themselves, we take on that burden and we have professionals around the world that make sure that we have uptime and we've got 24-7 monitoring. We make sure that whilst people are asleep, they don't need to worry. We've got their backs. I love that. Thank you. I think a lot of us need that kind of support in our lives. So I know that you started as chief architect at the company. Could you elaborate a little more as to how you ended up here and what your arch has been while at the company? Yeah, sure. So in other jobs that I've done, I've been, you know, interim CTO, head of delivery, head of software delivery, etc. However, one day I got a call from Mary, who was the project manager at the time. 
who knew that I'd been parachuted into different projects to recover the, the, the process and, you know, kind of bring them back to life. And I came in as chief architect to see if I could identify any weak spots, any pain points. And after a few months, the company asked me if I could lead the initiative to grow and expand the team. And so since then, we've taken the team from 10 and now we're approaching um, 200 within engineering itself. What was the point when you joined the company or what was the stage of the product? Can you tell us a bit more about that? So it was much less mature than it is today. There were, I believe, four or five protocols at most that we were running at the time. And a lot of our processes were manual. So this is manageable when you've got maybe 10, 20, 30 nodes from you know one, two or three different types. Fast forward to today, we've got obviously many more engineers, a lot more automation. And so back then it looked completely different from what it is now. It was, um, yeah, a lot of manuals stuff and um, a lot of late nights. What was the process of uh, scaling to such levels? It sounds like you had to do a lot of process improvement and I will venture to say even team building and making sure that people can work together seamlessly because expanding a team in such such high uh, numbers is probably a challenge on its own. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so one of the fundamental things that I've recognized with different teams that I've led is the word culture. And without that locked in from the beginning, it really doesn't matter what processes you have you just won't have the right people and the right people are essential for any team to win. Regardless of how good the processes are, if those people can't work together, you will not succeed. And if you get lucky, your luck will run out eventually. So one of the things that we did initially was make sure that anybody coming into the organization, especially in engineering, was a great fit, that they were culturally aligned. Obviously we want people that are technically proficient, but we would choose somebody who was more culturally aligned, but maybe not quite as technically proficient as a second person over that other person. I think that's a large part of our success and it's allowed us to scale to where we are. It sounds like you really are into the software side of leadership. Can you tell me a bit more as to how this kind of mindset became obvious to you? Because in my experience, sometimes it's not as obvious when someone comes from engineering to appreciate the importance of culture that much. Indeed. So unlike a lot of people, I've worked in you know a lot of different industries and a lot of different disciplines. And what I've recognized from an early age is that to get the most out of people, you need to get with them on a personal level. And different people respond to you know, sometimes the carrot, sometimes the stick. Some people want to be left alone. Some people want to be micromanaged. As soon as you identify that and then use that as part of your leadership initiatives, it then becomes much easier to mold a team in such a way that they can work the best way together. Right. How would you describe the leadership initiative at Block Demon? It's based on a few different pillars. The first one we've spoken about is is culture. The second one is, and it kind of overlaps with culture, but before we even talk about leading a, a person or a group, 
are those people the right fit, not just for culture, but, you know, do they actually want to be there? Do they have an interest in, in the blockchain space? It's quite, it's quite brand new in comparison to, you know, fintech and the gaming industry and, and so on. And then obviously the third one is, are they going to be able to follow along with other people? In our industry, there's a lot of people that are quite brilliant. And, you know, we've had people as young as 15 and 16, but that brilliance on its own kind of fades in importance if they don't have the other two pillars. Right. So it sounds like ability to work in a team, sort of, like you are looking for people who are, even if they are young, are mature enough to understand that it's a team effort. Absolutely. And there is quite a lot that you can do when you work on your own. But when you work as part of a team, you can go forever. Right. Beautifully put. So could you tell us a bit more about the way you build your teams? What is source of the, the secret sauce? It rather depends on the stage that you're in. Initially, when you're building a team, what you want to have is people that resonate with the people that you've already got. So rather than go and get an external recruiter, initially what you want is people that you've worked with before, you've seen them in a comparable environment that you're working in right now, because those initial choices tend to be the most important. And it's very easy to trust someone that you worked with before, or is a, you know, a recommendation from somebody that you trust. As the team grows and as the pace increases, it becomes much more difficult to rely on, on that tactic. At some point, and in our case, this, this definitely happened, you run out of your local network of people that you could actually bring in that you could rely on. And so when you get to that kind of like series B point, either side, you now need to rely on either in-house recruiters or a third party recruiter. And then there's another part of that process where you have to vet the, the actual recruiters, because especially in the blockchain space, it's not just about reaching out on LinkedIn, but you need people to go on the discords on the Twitters, and find the kind of DGENs that, you know, that live in, in the blockchain communities because they don't hang out on LinkedIn or all the traditional outlets. And so using those two approaches at the two main stages, that's been our approach to get people in. And then from a leadership point of view, because we are a distributed team, right from the outset, we, we needed to make sure that there was alignment, but also autonomy. And so what we do across UK, Europe, US, India, Germany, and the APAC regions, what we do is we make sure that as people go off, as teams go off and do their own thing, that it's always in alignment through consensus with the rest of the engineering organization. And what that allows us to do is keep going at pace, regardless of the scale that we go. Wow, that sounds really counterintuitive in a sense. It's more like a democracy, if I understand correctly. By consensus, you mean? Yeah, so, you know, as much as I'm a champion of democracy, it has to have its constraints. And there's almost, for want of a better phrase, a, a circle of managerial trust. And with that hierarchy, we make sure that the teams over, you know, in Asia, in, in, in Europe, etc., that regardless of how they're, how they're working, it's in alignment with how the rest of the organization is working as well. And what we're starting to approach now is, is using the notion of a team API, where there's a well-documented way of 
interacting with the individual teams. There's a well-documented way of knowing um, who's the person to talk to and what's their preferred method of communication. We're continually learning as well and improving the process, but the fundamental elements there are autonomous teams in alignment with the rest of the organization through consensus. So it's like every team kind of has its specific set of rules and behaviors that are appreciated. Indeed, yeah. And there's limits as well. Obviously, we don't want people just saying, hey, you know, the rest of the organization is, is writing code in Go. But do you know what? We're going to write in Haskell because that doesn't scale either. Because if we need to have cross-functional programs running, what that will stop us doing is bringing somebody in from, you know, a team that's only writing Go to this team that's decided to write in Haskell. So there are some constraints around that, specifically certain programming languages that you can use and certain tooling that you can use as well that just helps us can be you... cross-functional at the same time. Right. Can you tell us um, what those programming languages are or, or what frameworks you prefer? Yeah. So not necessarily frameworks. We, we write a lot of Go. We're starting to write a lot more Rust. And as we increase uh, our use of smart contracts, um, the, the obvious one is Solidity. That, although we're predominantly a blockchain infrastructure company, some of those interface points are starting to require that we have more smart contract skills in-house. And then for the front end, um, we use JavaScript and TypeScript. That's it. Thank you. So circling back a little bit, you mentioned how teams work together and uh, how important culture is for you. I am wondering if you have ever outsourced any part of product development to anyone, given that you have this very enlightened mindset. Yeah. So if you think about the, the different types of teams, I mean, there's four main different types. So you've got your, you know, your, your platform teams, which it's not as sexy as the other stuff. And, and it's the stuff that's quite easy to do in-house. But then at the other end of the scale, there's enabling teams, which are like the SRE team. They'll go into particular projects. They may be there forever, or they may just go in there and you know reduce some toil and then come out like a consultant and then go somewhere else. But then at the top end, you've got very specialized teams that do quite complicated stuff. And so for that element, we've outsourced a few different programs where we didn't have the skill set at the time and it was just easier to go out and contract somebody that had worked in that space. I can't really share which ones uh, because of NDAs, but um, that's something right. that we do from time to time. And, and there's one particular project that we're doing now in that fashion. Right. Cool. So how did you choose who to contract? Was it kind of a similar process to how you choose who to hire? There are similarities in that we will ask around within the organization and lean on the experiences that the people that we trust within the organization have had. And if they've used a particular company to outsource work to, and they've had nothing but good experiences, that's where we'll start. And then, you know, from there, if we can't do that, then we'll look to alternatives. But up until now, at least in the two and a half years that I've been there, that we've never had to go beyond that. And so we've been able to rely on somebody's prior experience with a, with a third party. Awesome, really cool. I think um, a lot of companies share the, that kind of viewpoint. If you already trusted someone who you, who you hired in the company, then you will be happy to take their opinion into account when it, when it comes to expanding your team 
or aiding your team. Awesome, switching gears a little bit. Let's talk a little more about the product. You have mentioned how it has grown tremendously since you have joined the company. What was your role in making these changes? Was it all planned out in such a way that it actually happened? So um, certainly a large part of it was planned out, but like, you know, all plans, I think Mike Tyson famously once said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And we've had a few punches in the face. So that said, having a plan is better than not having a plan at all. And and what we've done is, uh, you know, in the classical um, startup sense, we put ourselves in, in a position where we were able to pivot depending on the needs of the market, depending on uptake in, in customers. So for example, we've had customers that suddenly wanted not just 10 servers, but they wanted a thousand servers within the next two weeks. And so when you approach with problems like that, you need to be in a place to, to do a lot of things in an automated way because doing that manually doesn't scale. So yeah, so certainly we've always tried to plan things so that we could grow organically rather than, you know, have a grand plan and say in two years, we're going to get there. I think any startup with that approach is probably not going to make it. That said, even even those iterative plans can get the uh, proverbial face punch. So, yes, we plan we planned a lot, but we've also had to pivot a lot as well. But as we've gone down that road over time, we've built a lot of things architecturally. Uh, let's call them components, knowing that you know we may or may not need this in the future, but there's a part of this thing that we need now, which allows us to organically react to changes in the market, whether it's in the NFT API space, for example, or if we get a customer that's a large institution that has, you know, financial regulations that prohibit that particular person from working in a particular region. And then another example is having to work not just in the cloud, but also things like bare metal as well. So, you know, initially we started off in the cloud and now we use not just one provider, but three. And we've, we've also got bare metal providers in every continent on the planet. How cool is that? You shared, you know, that it's good to have a plan. What is your favorite plan that actually turned out kind of like it was planned? Or or if it wasn't, then, then how did it turn out? And why is it one of your favorites? Yeah, I think something I could potentially share is is Solana. So... You know, our our CEO and our protocol team um, are really good at knowing market trends and using data points. And I'd even go as far as to say that our CEO uh, goes beyond that and he's got an uncanny sense of knowing what the next two years looks like. Solana was, um, was one of those where, you know, people suspected it was going to be big, but not as big as, as, as it became. We planned in front of everybody else to get in a, in a position where we could be the number one provider for Solana. So Solana has some special, rather unique and expensive attributes, meaning that the machines that it runs on, are, you know, they're quite beefy, they're, they're hard to get hold of. And we also looked at things like the supply chain, the global supply chain, it was becoming more problematic. And of course, now you've still got Shanghai in COVID lockdown, which was a massive bottleneck. But right now we, you know, we're good for the next three years. So we've got machines in all the different continents. We are the number one Solana 
at the time of this recording, um, simply because we planned, you know, almost two years ago, we couldn't have predicted the downturn in the in the crypto markets, but we certainly knew that the good times had to stop at some point. And so our plans have put, put us in a really good place where, although other people are suffering, we are ahead of the game just by using those data points and um, having a great CEO. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so you. our key to key takeaway from that story is that you should join the CEO you can trust. <laughs> you mentioned that you that you pivoted uh, depending on the needs of the market and the, the feedback of your customers. Can you share us a bit more about how you use feedback and how you gather it, first of all, and then and then how you use it to become better? Absolutely. So I think it would be hard to find somebody today who has not heard of NFTs. NFTs were something that was on our radar, but at the time we didn't see a need to bring it further forward on our roadmap. And then suddenly there was this massive explosion of interest within NFTs. And suddenly we had, you know, institutional customers just banging on our door. We've got an amazing engineering leadership team. And so Andrew, who is our director of blockchain engineering, Ryan, who's our director of engineering in general, because of the things that, that had already been put in place, we were able to pivot on top of the amazing architecture that we'd already built. And instead of an NFT API product that would normally have taken maybe the best part of a year, we were able to produce something within the space of two months. That's pretty breathtaking. So if we jump into where you are right now, what is your number one challenge as the VP of engineering? What are you working on? Yeah, so that's a great question. So recently, as part of our expansion and a few other reasons, we've now got a CTO. And up until now, myself as VP of engineering, I reported into the CEO. But now with the CTO, we've got a different reporting line and a big challenge uh, for the company right now is working with the CTO who's come from Apple Pay. He was the director of Apple Pay, Chris Sharp, amazing guy, super knowledgeable. He's a great win for Block Demon and engineering especially. And a challenge now is how to make the best use of that, not just that partnership, but maximizing, you know, somebody that influential so that, you know, over the next few years and, and beyond, we can make the most use of his talent and those relationships that, that obviously him and I will have along with the rest of the team as well. The other challenge at the same time is planning for growth in a market that's, you know, some people would argue that we're already in a recession, but the challenge there is, is seeing the opportunities because it's when it's in the bear markets, it's in the recessions where there's opportunity to consolidate and build so that at the end of that, you can shine ahead of the markets. This is something that we've done already with proof of staking. And then this is something that we'll repeat again. And between now and then, we're in a very healthy place, runway for three years, etc. And so what we plan to do there is, is take on these challenges and turn them into huge opportunities. I love that mindset. Can you tell us a bit more about getting the CTO? How far ahead of time did you know that you were going to 
get a CTO and what was sort of the process of creating this new role for your company? Yeah. So in some organizations, you, you'll have a CTO in the offset and quite often it can be a co-founder. And then, you know, what, when the engineering team gets to 9, 10, 12, people will then start to think about bringing in a VP of engineering. What we did, we knew that at some point we would have a CTO, but it was more important to approach the challenge of building out the team, growing the team, making sure that retention was really, really high. I believe our numbers are at 95% within engineering. And, and that's over the four year span plus of the company. And so once we knew that we were getting to that place and you know we've done hyperscale, we then realized that within the next sort of six months, that was the right time to bring in the CTO. Prior to that though, we'd already been talking with you know various people. And so I'd say the whole process was a year. And so even though the CTO is probably just one of the latest cohort of new joiners, that plan had been initiated about a year ago. So it seems like it was just a, a very simple thing, but it's, uh, it's been a long time in planning. Wow, I love that. I think it comes to show that uh, your point about planning is very important and also very helpful on the long term and even on the, on the short term comfort for people. Jumping in a different gear a little bit, let's talk a little bit about competition. Do you pay attention to your competition at all since you are the market leader in the arena where you're playing? Or is it just not having a competition kind of? That's a great question. If you ask different departments within BlockDemon, you'll get a different answer. Although I think that it would be naive to not share an interest in who your competitors are, but it's certainly not their story that drives our story. We mm -hmm. have a, a roadmap that's, that's crafted as the world stands today. And as we predict that roadmap over the next few years, the only changes that will come will be based on, on market forces rather than whatever our nearest competitor at the time is going to do. And so, yeah, we certainly share an interest, but it's certainly not something that drives what we do. That's a really great answer. I think that uh, gets down to a really subtle difference, but a, a really important one. We have talked about culture and making sure that you build the best engineering team possible. And with your 95% retention rate stat, I think it goes to show that you have succeeded in the building of that team and that you're onto the, the right track of making sure that people are actually interested in blockchain and they will have the ability to, to follow along in working within these autonomous teams that are aligned. We also talked about the importance, for me, it was a very influential part of what you said that it's very important to make really thoughtful initial choices for your team and then go from there, but still be thoughtful as you, as you scale really fast. Plans, planning how the market's going to go, planning for new roles within the company, planning for changes within the company. I think a lot of us, a lot of the time are just going with the flow and, and fail to actually think about what we plan on doing. So thank you for sharing that as well. Is there anything else that we have not touched on and you think is very important to share? Yeah, I think that one thing that is not highlighted is the, the case where 
you know, somebody that isn't a leader would like to be one. And what I would say is if you are a leader of somebody who comes to you and, and asks, you know, how do they get on that journey? I think that everybody should be encouraged to at least try. And the easiest way to do that is to just take the initiatives on on a small project. It could be your own. It could be, you know, something that you put on GitHub and just practice on something that's low risk. It could be a hobby project, for example. Within an organization, I'd also encourage the use of DRIs where somebody is appointed to head a like a small initiative, for example. I would encourage anybody that's approached by somebody that wants to become a leader to be that person that gives them that that first seed, that first taste. It's not for everybody, but you'd be surprised at how many people don't know that they are good leaders. Right, and if you just give them a taste, they might be able to decide that they don't want to do it. And it's still something that is an informed choice rather than something that they never got a chance to try. Exactly. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing so much with our audience. Where can our listeners follow you or your work? I don't have a massive social presence. However, I'm on Twitter. My handle is IO Lloyd. And I've got a LinkedIn page. That's really about it. Awesome. Thank you. And if they want to join the company? If they want to join the company, we've got an email recruiting at blockdemon.com. And we're always happy and willing to bring on the right candidates. Awesome. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Dearest watchers and listeners, I am Carolina Toth. Today, my guest was the VP of Engineering at Block Demon, Lloyd Moore, and he talked to us about how to build an amazingly successful company and how to prepare for the future with success. Thank you for joining us, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with Level Up Engineering. If you enjoyed this podcast, so will your friends. Share this episode on your favorite social networking platform. To stay up to date with our content, follow Level Up Engineering on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Google Podcast. Brought to you by Coding Sans, a software development agency building web applications with Angular and Node.js. Check them out at codingsans.com. <laughs>